make a point. I came across this story probably two months ago. It involves football. The Buffalo Bills are not known for their sterling ability to win Super Bowls. I believe it was in 1994, the Cowboys and the Bills were playing in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 28. And of course, we know the result. We know that the Cowboys won. After the game, Thurman Thomas of the Bills sat on the bench. His head was bowed and his hands were covering his face. Oh, he was greatly discouraged. He was very frustrated. To begin with, this was the fourth consecutive time that the Bills had lost the Super Bowl. And then to make matters worse, it was his three fumbles that had helped to seal the awful conclusion of the game for the Bills. So we try the best that we can to understand the frustration, the agony, the disappointment that Thurman Thomas surely felt in those moments following the game. But then suddenly, something happened. It was startling. You never would have guessed that it was happening. Standing in front of Thurman Thomas was Emmett Smith. The Cowboys star running back. He had just been named the MVP of that Super Bowl. There he is standing in front of Thurman Thomas, and he had with him a little child. He was holding the little child's hand. He looked down at the child and said, I want to introduce you to the greatest running back in the NFL, Mr. Thurman Thomas. Can you imagine how that the mood of Thurman Thomas changed with just the saying of those few words? Now, probably you have never heard that story. I had never heard it until I read it two or three months ago. It wasn't one of those things that made the news. This was something that wasn't televised. There were no reporters on the scene. But in that quiet moment, no one else around, Thurman Thomas, Emmett Smith, and that little child, they were the only ones around. And Emmett Smith told that child what he thought of Thurman Thomas. Now, in years to come, Thurman Thomas won many awards, many accolades. But I dare say that this was a moment that he would never forget. When sincerely, without pretense, without an agenda, Emmett Smith said that Thurman Thomas was the greatest running back in the NFL. You and I personally understand that life does not go along the same day by day. A phone call in the night can suddenly change our lives in a drastic kind of way. Things can change very, very quickly we can become greatly discouraged. The circumstances of life can be so overwhelming. My friends, these are just some of the occasions in our lives when we need an extra dose of encouragement. 
In the Bible, as I said a few moments ago, we read a great deal about encouragement. Just in the next few moments, I want to run through with you just uh, a few of the verses from the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, we see that Solomon shines the light on the value of bringing encouraging words to others. For example, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, he said, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. And therefore, as we think about these words from Solomon, it should be that you and I, upon meditating on those words, that day by day we will look for opportunities to encourage others. After all, there is not a person anywhere who has not dealt with discouragement. I read this past week of how that Satan has a number of tools at his disposal that he tries to use to bring us down. For example, if he can't puff you up with pride, he will try to dampen your spirits by discouragement. I'm convinced that discouragement is one of Satan's mightiest tools. And if he can get your soul under the weather, if he can allow things in your life to seem so overwhelming and drastic to you, he'll use those occasions. We look into our world in which we live. I have the privilege during the school year to work part-time with students primarily in the elementary grades. And it just seems that almost every year I come across more and more students just by the expression that I see on their Faces And by the way that they speak, they're coming from homes where they are very discouraged. Where they haven't heard an encouraging word. Homes that have in them things which they should not have. Homes where life is difficult and draining. This is the reason that you and I, we're going to be thinking about our lives as Christians. How that, how that it is important for us to extend encouragement to others. And how that in our own lives, the importance of encouragement now we go to the New Testament, and I call to mind here the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Already these Christians at Thessalonica, they were an encouraging body of believers. And Paul writes to them and says, keep it up, keep it up. Don't stop encouraging one another. It hasn't been that long since the end of the school year. The school year was drawing to a close. I don't know how it is with the schools in this area, but there in the last week or so of school, there is field day. The students love it. The teachers, well, they endure it. And so field day is an exciting day. It's unlike any other day in the school year. 
At this particular school on field day, there were several of the boys who were competing with each other to excel in various sports. The next event was pull-ups. The first boy, whose name was Juan, strolled up to the bars. Can you see him in your mind? I can you see him in your imagination? Had his chest sticking out. I can do this. Watch me. Watch how good I am at doing this. No one's going to beat me. He had confidence. And he pulled himself up ten times. When he stepped away, he had that same expression on his face as he had had when he came up to the bars before he did the pull-ups. He was communicating to everyone, I know that I have, that I am going to win this. However, the next boy involved in this competition was a boy named Kenneth. I want you to try to get this picture in your mind. Here's Kenneth. He's walking slowly, ever so slowly, toward the bars. He had seen the confidence of one. And he was probably beginning to think, well, there's just no purpose for me even trying in light of what one has done. But he still went ahead and did the best that he could. After he had chinned the eighth time, he thought that he was beaten. He thought that there was no need for him to go on anymore. But he decided, maybe, just maybe, I can do one more. And so finally, with much pain, straining every muscle in his body, Kenneth managed to slowly drag his chin above the bars for the ninth time. And then with a child's sense of tragedy, Kenneth thought he could not even tie one. But from somewhere deep down within himself, Kenneth didn't quit. He pulled himself up one more time. Now he has tied his opponent. But pain is racking his entire body, especially the upper half of his body, as he lowers himself to quit. That's it. But then a girl in his class, perhaps, now she would never would have admitted this, perhaps she sort of liked him. She probably thought he was a bit cute. But she never would have told him. That, that just wouldn't have been the thing for her to have done. And with tearful eyes and with an urgent, throbbing voice that was heard above the shouts of the other children. She yelled, one more time, Kenneth, one more time. Kenneth heard that shout from that girl, and it impacted him. It was like an electric shock across Kenneth's face. And from somewhere deep within his being, there was a call as old as humanity, as reserves of strength poured through his body. And with a determined frown of a grown man, he dragged himself up for the final and winning pull-up. And then he collapsed on the group. Why was Kenneth successful? I believe the reason he was successful 
The reason that he was able to win the contest over one who thought for sure that he was going to win was simply because of the encouragement of that girl, that classmate. It made all the difference in him winning the race. And from this simple story, the lesson is that a sincere word of encouragement may well make the difference in the life of the person to whom it is extended. As we read the Bible, we see many examples of some of the greatest men who ever lived. Some of the leading characters, if you please, in all of the Bible. And they were great encouragers. And I would go so far as to say the secret of their success, a part of the secret of their success, was that they were encouragers. Think about Moses, that sterling man of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 28, he was commanded by God to encourage Joshua, who was about to take his place as the national leader of Israel. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at her head on this people, and he shall put them in remembrance and in possession of the land. And then we come to the New Testament In Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we see a wonderful example of the kind of encouragement that Paul often extended to Christians. And on this occasion, he is in jail. And even there, even in that kind of a situation, it wasn't all about himself. He wasn't crying out, woe is me. Why did this happen to me? Oh, no, that was not the kind of man that Paul was. In Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, here's what he says to these Christians. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. This evening in our remaining moments, there are two key points that we're going to be emphasizing. And what we're going to do first, we're going to look at an example of encouragement. Someone in the New Testament who was known for his encouragement. Yes, that's who I'm going to be talking about. You you know who he is. Barnabas. Let's think together about Barnabas, and we're going to be looking at some key passages regarding this good man. The first one is in Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 36. Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 36. Thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This man had a nickname. That nickname was Barnabas. And we see how that This name Barnabas means son of consolation or son of encouragement. 
And he was a man who had a good heart. He was a man who extended to all whom he could encouragement. And then we go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Think about what he meant to the early Christians. Acts chapter 9 Verses 26, beginning. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. That is, this is about Saul of Tarsus, or the Apostle Paul. They were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They must have believed that He was an imposter, that he was just claiming to be a disciple. They knew who he was. They knew that he was one who was devoted to persecuting Christians. He had that kind of a reputation. And now he's claiming to be a Christian? No, no, that that can't be true. That cannot be the case at all. Verse 27, but Barnabas, here he is again, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas says he is telling the truth. He is a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And let me tell you what he has done. Here's a man who has turned his life around and he has preached boldly. As we would express the thought here, Barnabas was willing to vouch for Saul. He said, he's okay. He's genuine. He's true. Let him be a part of you. Next we go to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And we'll pick up at verse 22. Acts chapter 11, verse 22 beginning. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Barnabas hears about this uh, occasion. The church... At Jerusalem, they had heard about it. And they had heard about these Christians at Antioch. And so they said, Barnabas, would you go down there and help those Christians? Help them along as they are beginning their life in Christ. Barnabas was the man. He was the man for the job. He had that special gift of encouragement. When he arrived, notice again what the text says. He exhorted them. He encouraged them. 
He was excited about what God was doing and how that these new converts were serving the Lord. And he did his best to encourage them to keep on keeping on, to remain true to the Lord. Barnabas, what a great man, a man who made a difference. Now we go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, picking up at verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them in the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here were these men, these three men, together on a missionary journey. We don't know the details, but there was a reason that John Mark on this missionary journey, decided that he would return home. Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Now, Paul and Barnabas decide that they needed to go and revisit these churches where they had been. And Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. Let's give him a second chance. Paul says, no, no, no. We can't do that. Remember how he deserted us before? How do you know? Now, I'm using a little uh, sanctified imagination here. How do we know that he will not do the same thing again? Sometimes brethren have disagreements. Now, here I'm not talking about a doctrinal disagreement. I'm talking about a disagreement over a matter that does not involve doctrine. And we see here that it was a sharp disagreement. They were really at odds with one another. And so much so that Paul and Barnabas part company. We read in the text that Paul takes with him Silas and goes out with him. Barnabas takes John Mark and he disappears from the Bible account. We never hear anything more about Barnabas. But his ministry to John Mark had far-reaching consequences. I would even say it like this the encouragement that he gave to John Mark had far-reaching consequences. Because, you see, when Barnabas gave this discouraged and defeated young man a second chance, his life as a servant of God was salvaged. In fact, before Paul died in Rome... He requested that Mark be sent to him. That's one of those statements when you read, you think about it and you think, that's amazing. Before he had said that he wasn't up to the task. We can't depend on him. And then in 2 Timothy 4.11 
He wants John Mark to come and be with him. I want to see him. But even more important is the fact that because Barnabas took the time to encourage a discouraged brother, Mark was used of the Lord to pen the gospel account of Mark, which gives us an exciting account of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. You think about the Apostle Paul. You think about John. You think about other people of whom we read about in the New Testament. And the great contributions that they made in the work of the early church, the sermons that they preached. But then we read these few occasions about Barnabas. And sometimes, and this is an opinion, sometimes it seems, maybe without realizing it, We designate certain characters, certain people in the scriptures as major characters and minor characters. And I would dare say that people who would make such a categorization of characters in the New Testament on the minor character section of the ledger, you would find Barnabas. I don't believe we should do that. Barnabas' work, his contributions, the difference that he made. These are just a few of the accounts that we have. Just a few of the times in which he must have encouraged brethren. I believe he was known far and wide amongst the early Christians as an encourager. When he would come visit a congregation, oh, the people's heart would be so happy. Here's Barnabas. He's going to encourage us. Maybe we're a little low right now. Maybe we're down and out. But here's Barnabas. And Barnabas speaks to them the words that they need to hear. One of the greatest needs, beloved, in the church at all times is for more Barnabases. Now, I'm not telling parents, uh, if you're going to have a, if you have a son that you should name him Barnabas, I don't go into the recommending of names for parents, but the attitude of Barnabas. A church with encouragers, Not those who just think encouraging thoughts. He did a really good job. You think about a young person. I really admired the way that he led the closing prayer Sunday night. I'm so proud of him. I remember when he was in the four and five year old class. And and sometimes he was just a stinker in there. All he wanted to do was talk. And now, ten years later, he leads the closing prayer on a Sunday night. But did you tell him? Did you tell him? We need to use every opportunity we can to encourage our brethren. The word of encouragement that you speak, you never know the difference That it will make. Point number two. Since I was here last year, I had cataract surgery. And yes, I can see the clock in the back of the auditorium. So so don't get nervous. Don't don't get fidgety just yet. We're going to be out of here around eight. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to be camped out here for the next few moments. 
Hebrews chapter 10, picking up the text at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great high priest over the throne of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What a wonderful, uplifting passage that is. And we could spend a... A lot of time exegeting this passage, and it would be a profitable exercise, but we're not going to do that. Quite often when this passage is treated, we hone in on verse 25 about the importance of coming together and to meet with our brethren. And preachers can speak long and loud about the importance of attending the services of the church. And we need to make it a priority in our lives. And preachers do need to preach in encouraging Christians to come together and not to forsake, as the King James Version says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But isn't it ironic Think about it. Isn't it ironic that this text that is supposed to be an encouragement oftentimes is used as a rebuke? Notice again verse 24, how it begins. And let us consider how to stir up one another. In other words, how to encourage one another. I am being facetious in when I'm what I'm getting ready to say just here. Is there anything more encouraging than someone yelling at you, asking you where you were and what business you had in missing a service of the church? And we'll think when that if that happens, I know it wouldn't happen here. We're talking about people and places that are not here. Thank you for getting on my case about attending the services of the church. But notice what the text says. David, isn't it revealing what happens when we read the text and we look at the words? Now that now we're getting personal. We look at the words... The things we need to be encouraged to do when we come together. How wonderful it is that we have these occasions when we come together. I like Wednesday nights. I'm glad that the church here meets on Wednesday nights. I'm glad the church where I preach in Belleville, our elders believe it's important that we come together on Wednesday night to be encouraged. When I come to class on Wednesday nights, I'm always encouraged. And I always seek to be as encouraging as I can to those who are present. It's one of the precious duties that we have toward one another. 
We need to encourage each other. Because as we said at the beginning of our lesson, there are those things that happen to us in our lives. The burdens that we bear. Grief. Struggles. And we need encouragement. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Apostle Paul exultingly said in Galatians chapter 6. The Hebrew writer says here in verse 23 that we need to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. That is, we need to be growing in our hope. And we need to be encouraging each other in the hope that we have. Now we come to verse 24, and we need to, the text says, we need to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I did some study on the word consider, and it means that we take thoughtful effort and intention. That is, we are to be thinking about how that we can stir each other up to love and to good works. How can I help this brother? How can I help this sister? How can we encourage one another? As brothers and sisters in the family of God, you and I need to be intentionally thinking how can I be a better encourager to my brothers and sisters? Each time we come together, there is to be an atmosphere that we're ready to give encouragement and faith and hope and love to others. And that we're ready to receive the thing, the same toward us. We are here to encourage one another. That's one of the purposes of our coming together. And all of this as the background brings us to verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. What does that mean? It means if you're not here, you can't encourage me. And if I'm not here, I cannot encourage you. Now, verse 25 is important. But looking at the context, there is the attitude. Our obedience to this command is to be bathed in the correct attitude. If I just show up on Wednesday night because I know if I don't, Someone's going to get on my case. Someone's going to call me. So I'll just show up, endure it, and then I'll go home, and everything will be okay. Oh, pity us if that is our attitude. The story is told about a man. I live in a small town, population 4,200. This man lived in a small town. He was a good man. His reputation was he never said an unkind word to anyone. Every word that came out of his mouth was encouraging and positive. And that just drove some of the people in that small town. They just didn't know what to make of it. How can this person always be up? How can he always be positive and optimistic? You see, they like to talk about other people. They like to gossip, especially about the faults and failings of others. One day, a vicious dog who terrorized people in the town for years died. And some of the people in the town 
would visit with one another and, and they would begin to say all kinds of bad things about that dog. I remember when, and they would name a particular incident, when that dog had done something that was dastardly. But one day, they said, let's go over to that man's house who's always optimistic, always positive. Let's go over to his house and let's see what he will say about the dog. They just thought, here's going to be the exception. He won't be able to say anything good about that dog. Well, they went over there, sure enough. And they asked the man after they had been there for a few moments what he thought about the dog. And the man paused and he smiled. He said, that dog had good teeth. Brother Aubrey Johnson has written a fine book called The Barnabas Factor. In that book, he has included, he wrote this, he calls it The Encourager's Prayer. Dear Father, thank you for a new day and the opportunities it will afford me to encourage someone in your name. Thank you for helping me overcome my fears by giving me a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Thank you for helping me to overcome discouragement by reminding me of your unlimited power and abiding presence. Thank you for helping me to live courageously and relate effectively to others. Teach me to use my mind to encourage others by focusing on solutions rather than complaining or assigning blame. Teach me to use my eyes to encourage others by looking for good in every person and circumstance. Teach me to use my ears to encourage others by being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Teach me to use my lips to encourage others by speaking words of hope and healing. Teach me to use my hands to encourage others by doing small deeds of kindness and expecting nothing in return. Today, Lord, I will help build someone up by nudging her one step closer to her dreams. Today, I will help someone to blossom by refusing to give up on him no matter how low he has fallen. Today, Lord, I will help someone to believe by showing her she is valuable, lovable, and capable. Today, Lord, I will help someone to battle by urging him to face his fears instead of running away. Today, Lord, I will glorify you through my ministry of encouragement. Those are two points for this study this evening, but yet there is something else. And David, I don't know whether this is customary for this to take place on as a part of this series this summer. I didn't ask you about it beforehand. I didn't talk to the elders. I'm going to just throw caution to the wind. I will be here next week to check up on this. But each of you who are here have a homework assignment. You have a homework assignment. Everybody's going to be on the honor system. By Sunday, make it your aim to encourage at least one person. To encourage one person. You may call them up on the phone. You may see them before or after the services, but you are intentional. That is, you decide, this is what I'm going to do, and you follow through with it. Oh, we have a lot of good intentions, 
But oftentimes, let's be real, oftentimes we don't carry out our good intentions. We agree that they're good, it would be profitable for us to do it, and there's where we leave it. Here's your homework assignment. Find someone, decide that you're going to encourage them, and I guarantee it that it will make a difference in their life. And imagine this. This is not a part of your homework assignment. But what if every week, now you can do more than this. There's no bonus points, but you can do more than this. What if you encouraged one person every week for a year? Think of the difference it would make. Think about Barnabas and his example, what he meant to the Christians in the first century. You and I can make a difference. You and I can make more of a difference than we probably can imagine by speaking words of encouragement. Thank you for the invitation to be here, and thank you for so kindly listening to our study for this evening. If you are here in our assembly this evening and you need to respond to the invitation, if you're not a member of the Lord's family, you're not a member of His church, we invite you to come to become a Christian, to become one who is just exactly as they were in the first century, a Christian, completing your obedience by being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll be added by the Lord to his family, to his church. Or if we can help you as you strive to live the Christian life, to walk closer with the Lord, whatever your need is, won't you come as now we stand and as we sing.